Okay. Okay, good morning and welcome to the eighth. is here at St. Mark. Intimacy, good. There is no event, no activity that you will participate in that is more intimate than the liturgy. So I felt like it was very fitting for us to start off the year speaking about the liturgy. The most intimate you can get with God is in the liturgy, whether it being in the church or outside the church. So this sacrament covers the whole dimension of our Christian existence, the significance of what it means to be a member of the church, what it means to grow in the image of the likeness of God, what it means to love God and our fellow men, and what it means to receive the continuing presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So as the weeks go on, we will delve into this quote and kind of unwrap what the liturgy has to offer for us. So we all want to benefit from the liturgy, whether it's out of guilt, whether you have nothing else to do on Sunday but to be here, whether you've been in the church for one day or you were born into it, whether you're here, somebody dragged you here or you're here, you know, willingly, we all want to get something out of being here on Sunday. Okay? So, but before we can benefit from this service, we need to know what's going on, what's happening, why is Abuna doing this, why are the deacons standing here, but even before that, we need to know where did this service come from, who started it, what are the origins of it, okay, and that's where we're going to start today, the history of the liturgy. Please don't be fooled, I am not a history guru. It's not my thing whatsoever, okay? When it comes to dates and, and um, states and who split from who and all of that stuff, that's not my thing. But for those of you who don't know, I really, really love antiques. I've actually been antiquing with my dad since I was like six years old. And so I really, really love antiques. And ironically, what I like about antiques is the history of these pieces, where did they come from? What, what purpose did they serve back then? How, do, how was that item used back in the day? How we've evolved from that item from back then until now? So hence our title, The Timeless Antique. There's nothing more antique than the liturgy that we partake in. Okay, but what gives an antique its value? There are three components that give an antique its value. First, the origins of that antique its intricacies and details, the, the work that went into it, and then its maker. The, uh, there, there could be a piece of pottery that's not signed and you have no idea where it came from. The value of that, that pottery goes way down. But when there is a maker's mark on it, the value goes way up. So if you don't understand these components of an antique, something from the fourth, fourth century could be worth $10, even though really the value of it is very, very high. 
So the same way in the liturgy, we need to know what are the origins, what are the details of the liturgy, who is the maker and the designer of the liturgy in order for us to place a value on it. So this is the basic structure that we are going to discuss today, the basic form of how the liturgy came to be. Okay, so first we see a liturgical interaction with God. This is the time of the temple, way back in the beginning, directly from the mouth of God, how they should, um, how should they, they should sacrifice and how they should conduct themselves in the temple. Then we see a Jewish form of biblical worship, and this is where we see worship in the synagogue. This was around the time of Christ, and Christ himself prayed and worshiped in the synagogue, and we'll discuss that. And then out of this synagogue uh, Jewish worship is what we have today, okay? So our liturgy came from this Jewish biblical worship. I want us to center our minds on how God wanted to connect with us during this time. It was God wanted to come and have a meal with us. He wanted to dine with us. Okay, any time we have a gathering, it's always centered around a meal. Whether it's Christmas we just celebrated, or you go out on a date, or for a Super Bowl party. I have no idea what's going on on the screen. Who's playing, what's going on, but I know about the food that's there. We always, our, 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 our connection with each other is always centered around a meal, and Christ wanted to do the same with us. So it started with his people, the Israelites, where he not only wanted to connect with them over a meal, but he wanted a place set apart with no distractions so that they can come for communal worship. And that's where we see the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent that moved with the Israelites, and it was the center of their living. Wherever they would move, they would pack up the tent and, and move it with them. But you, as you can see here in the picture, the tent was always the center of their living. God was in the center. The tabernacle served for two purposes, sacrifices, like sacrificing of animals, and the, the exact details of how this was to be done came directly from God. And then also a reflection of worship as it is in heaven. So God wanted the worship here on earth to reflect what was happening were in the liturgy up in heaven. So the worship of heaven, the liturgy, has been established forever by God himself. Hebrews then goes on to demonstrate that what we do on earth should be patterned after what happens in heaven, both in the old and the new covenant. I highly recommend you guys, or encourage you guys to read Hebrews 8. It's very interesting to see the correlations of how God wanted us here on earth to mimic the liturgy and the worship that happens up in heaven. The faith and practice of Orthodox Christianity is in direct continuity with what God began in the Old Covenant, and we, as we know, it was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Okay, so now the Israelites settle in the Promised Land, and King David decides 
this is not good enough. This temporary tent is not good enough. So the words of, of, of King David we read in First Chronicles 17, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under, under tent curtains. This was no longer acceptable. So this is where we see the temple in Jerusalem being built by King David. Then we have the Babylonian exile in 597 BC. I had to put myself a note because like I said, I don't remember dates. So in 597 BC, before Christ, we see the Babylonian exile. There was no longer the opportunity for worshiping in the temple. So now they had to get creative. How are we going to continue this worship? So here we see synagogue worship and the form of the Jewish um, biblical worship starting to take form because now they had to gather wherever they could around the elders to hear and to hear the word of God and to worship. So this is where we start seeing extensions of the temple being built and being used. Christ himself was a liturgist in the synagogue. I wanted to take the time to point this out because we're talking about Christ, the lawmaker himself, was coming and respecting the rights of Moses, being circumcised, partaking of the feasts, etc., etc. He himself, even though he knew that he was the, the fulfillment of these prophecies that were being read, continued to respect the rights that were being practiced at the time. So he didn't want, he came wanting to show the priest, the, the keepers of the law, the ones who kept the law so, so close, nothing else mattered. He came to show these, these priests that he didn't want to come to break the law. But his purpose was to complement the law's shortcomings in order for him to make them so to make these rituals spiritually alive. Now that these things that you are reading on a tablet or on a, on a, on a paper, I want to make those things alive for you. So, and, and the way he did that wasn't by coming and overturning everything and deciding we're just going to get rid of it. He, he gently came and showed them that these shortcomings were going to be made alive by, by his death and resurrection. Okay, let's talk about the difference between Passover and the Last Supper, okay? Because sometimes we use these two words interchangeably. So the Passover was something, was a, was a, was a meal that was celebrated in remembrance of the deliverance out of Egypt for the Israelites, okay? Historically, this, uh, this um, celebration took place in Jerusalem. And so everybody would travel to the temple to Jerusalem to partake of the Passover. And sometimes this would only happen once in a lifetime for some people. Um, and then we see a lot of the traditional, the slaughtering of the lamb and remembering um, the day of de the deliverance out of Egypt. So Jesus entered Jerusalem prior to the Passover in order to celebrate the Passover with the disciples. However, he was going to be the lamb at the supper. He was going to be the one sacrificing himself. 
So because of this, we know that the Last Supper was actually not the Passover. And, and we see this for three reasons. The first reason is it was on Thursday evening that the Last Supper took place on Thursday evening, not Friday evening. So the way the Jewish day works is the day starts the evening before at sunset. So the Passover on Saturday, which would have been the Sabbath, would have started Friday evening. And that's when the preparation for the Passover would have begun. But the last supper we see was Thursday evening, not Friday evening. The second reason is there was no slaughtering of lamb and no partaking of the lamb in the temples. Okay, and then the third reason is that Friday Christ was being sacrificed on Golgotha. So this is, these are very um, straightforward reasons of why the Passover was not, was not partaken of in the Last Supper. Another reason we read in Luke 22, 15 through 16, then he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he told them, this Passover that you guys know of here on earth, I will not partake of it until it is fulfilled. And how was it going to be fulfilled? Through him, through his resurrection. Our Lord gathered his disciple for a ritual meal, which was the same as the prayer of the sacrificial representation in the temple. Jesus did not intend to eat the Passover with his disciples in Jerusalem, for he knew that he was the lamb that was going to be sacrificed on Friday. The lamb being slaughtered, the lambs being slaughtered in the temple are of the old covenant. The lamb being sacrificed on the cross is the new covenant in Jesus Christ. The fulfillment and the law of the prophets, the same prophecies that they so faithfully gathered around the elders for so many years to read about, now he came to fulfill those prophecies that they so faithfully stood by and read. Jesus Christ in the offering of his body and his blood is the sacrificial uh, lamb. Rather than sharing lamb from the temple to accomplish their deliverance for yet another year and then forgetting, Jesus was offering himself in whom they and all the world could receive, um, could receive salvation from. Our Lord himself took a specific Jewish practice, one that, he, that had been revealed by God, filled it with new meaning, the new meaning of the new covenant, and transformed it into Christian communion, something that we still partake of today. And while the Eucharist was instituted for the 12 within the context of the Passover feast, it was not instituted as a Passover meal. In this, Jesus actualized the church and brought it into being, right then and there, on the spot. So the problem with understanding the Last Supper as the Passover and the Eucharist as a representation of the Last Supper is that it becomes a dramatic memorial, something that we just remember, something that's just a memory to us. 
Okay, but the Last Supper was a historical event that occurred once. In contrast, the Eucharist is the actual experience of the Lamb who was eternally offered on the cross. So even though the Last Supper happened once in time, the, the Eucharist is the actualization of that event. Yes, the crucifixion occurred once in time, but the, this event has eternal consequences, making it an eternal sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice that is still offered to us today in the Eucharist. The whole significance of this repetition is the fact that something unrepeatable is being recalled and actualized. The Eucharist is the actualization repeated event. So here at St. Mark Church, our third core value, transcendent worship, our participation in the sacramental life is the foundation of our ancient faith and allows us to enter into a transformational life in Jesus. A transform transformational life in, in every aspect. From being someone you don't want to be to someone who's better. To being a subpar spouse or parent to being a model of the marriage and parenthood that Christ has, that God has um, enabled us to be a part of. Transforming us from mediocre to extraordinary. And that all starts in the liturgy. It all starts with the intimacy that we experience in the liturgy. So if we are a first century church, let's look at what the, the church looked like, looked like in the first century. So I want us to not think that, okay, Christ gave us the, the, the instructions of how the Eucharist should be, and then everything was great. Everything was beautiful, and now we have the liturgy today, and nothing changed, and nothing, nothing stood the test of time. The early church stood the test of time, going through a lot to get to the liturgy that we have today. So we see emperors and rulers who wanted to stop the preaching of the resurrection. We see persecution trying to deter the, the early Christians from practicing the Eucharist. There was a lot of going underground, participating in the liturgy in congregation homes, and I know probably Father Nate will not want me to say this, but I take a lot of pride in us not having a permanent home because we are actually living like the first century church. Wherever we are, it doesn't matter what the building is. It doesn't matter if it's a hotel or a school or a random building. The, the most important thing is what we partake of on that altar every single Sunday. And it can be anywhere. It, it doesn't have to be in a, in a building. It doesn't have to be in a church building. And we see this a lot in the early church. Um, a lot of people were trying to change what was happening in the liturgy, saying, oh, they knew really what Christ meant. They didn't he didn't really mean to partake of his body and blood. And of course, we see a lot of challenging of the reverence. So actually, part of the worship that, the, that we see in the synagogue continued to trickle into 
the liturgical worships that happened in the first century. For example, after the service, they had something called an Arabi meal. So Arabi is the, is the, is the Greek word for um, the, the highest form of, of love. So they used to share this meal at the end of the service, and then the Eucharist was kind of tagged onto that meal. But then eventually they started seeing that during the meal, people were getting drunk and then they would never get to the Eucharist. So this was an issue. This was something that was part of the old form of worship that kind of continued into the new form of worship. And St. Paul was actually part of removing the Arabi meal and just going straight into the Eucharist. So we see a lot of um, minor changes but I want to make something clear. The, the early church was changeless, okay? So it changed in order to stay the same. So what do I mean by that? The basic form and order of the liturgy was already established. That never changed. But small, um, small tweaks were made in order to make the service better, in order to keep the origins of the original service. So we see here there's no more shedding of blood because that was fulfilled by Jesus in his blood. As the apostles departed, the next generation took over in order for them to continue the the, the worship that we have today. The basic form of the liturgy was already settled. But this basic form over the years was refined and enhanced in order for us to keep the basic meaning and the beauty of what we receive directly from Christ. So, from day one we see God wanted to dine with us from the Garden of Eden and then we saw it in the temple the synagogue, and then today in the liturgy. The fulfillment of this, the fulfillment of what happened in that Last Supper meal is what you and I are invited to every single Sunday. If it's too much for you, I completely understand. It's too long. It's too boring. We don't understand what's happening. That's completely okay. We are, we're all in it together. And for the next two weeks, we're going to see how we can take this origin of a, of a worship that was established by Christ. What are the parts that allow me to see God here on earth? And then how I can truly, truly not only benefit, but enjoy and crave it from week to week. How I can not only come and, and, and be a partaker of the liturgy on Sunday, but to truly live a liturgical life. Let's stand up to pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, so much for giving us this gift. We thank you so much for the intimacy that you desire to have with us. We thank you so much for this invitation to come and to partake of your holy body and precious blood every Sunday.
open our eyes to how you want to, us to live a liturgical life, not only on Sunday, not only in the, in the building of a church, but in our daily lives, everywhere we go. We ask you to please be with us, keep us safe as we travel back to our homes. Those that weren't with us, please be with them, protect them, bless them. We ask this through the intercession of St. Mary, St. Mark, the beholder of God and all your saints, hear us as we pray together. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In the name of the Father.